From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Foreign Edition. Now, Mary Kissel. Britain is up in arms about burqas, and London reacts to the Trump administration's latest Russia sanctions. Welcome to Foreign Edition. I'm Mary Kissel with the Wall Street Journal editorial board. We're going to have a ball today because I am joined by Niall Gardner, the director of the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom at the Heritage Foundation in Washington. He's the co-author of Margaret Thatcher on Leadership, Lessons for American Conservatives Today with Stephen Thompson. He is also, of course, a Brit here to talk about Britain. Welcome to the show, Niall. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Well, we're going to have some fun because we're going to talk about one of my favorite people. Former Foreign Minister Boris Johnson wrote in The Telegraph this week, An op-ed titled, Denmark Has Got It Wrong. Yes, the burqa is oppressive and ridiculous, but that's still no reason to ban it. So uh, from my mind, kind of an anodyne op-ed saying if Denmark and other European countries are banning headgear, um, that's illiberal and I'm against it. Um, And yet it has created an absolute firestorm uh, in Parliament why is this issue uh, so politically toxic, Niall? That's a very good, good question. And um, it's, you know, the piece by Boris Johnson, the Telegraph earlier this week has been sort of attacked on, you know, on many, uh, on many fronts, actually. And it's caused an extraordinary uh, controversy, even though the piece it, itself actually uh, urges against a ban on, on the burqa, which uh, is a policy that is in place, actually, in some European uh, countries, um, including in uh, places like France and Germany, Belgium, for example. So it's all, the ban is already uh, you know, in place across many parts of Europe. It's not in place, of course, in the UK. And Boris Johnson was actually arguing against a burqa uh, a ban, but he was saying that uh, the burqa is, uh, is oppressive. It looks ridiculous. Uh, he compared um, you know, women wearing burqas to uh, looking like bank robbers. Um, and so this set off a firestorm of politically correct uh, attacks on, on Boris Johnson, which I think are, are sort of coming from, you know, uh, a number of different, you know, different quarters within the Conservative Party and outside of the Conservative Party. Uh, and I think that many um, are using this actually as an opportunity to bash, bash Boris Johnson. Of course, who was the Foreign Secretary until very recently. He resigned over the Prime Minister's very weak Brexit proposal, known as the Chequers proposal. And so a lot of the, um, the anti-Brexit forces within the Conservative Party are using this as an opportunity to try and tear Boris Johnson down, not least because he is the leading contender to challenge Theresa May if indeed there is a leadership race for the, for the Conservative Party well, in two, the coming months. Two separate issues here. The first is uh, the political aspect of this, and the second, of course, is the wisdom of the policy. So let's talk about the former first, since you raised it. Um, I suppose it's no surprise to see the opposition Labour Party, um, which has been dragged, let's face it, to the crazy left by uh, the leader, um, Jeremy Corbyn, Uh, No surprise there that they would be uh, the moral arbiters, that they would pronounce themselves shocked, 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 um, that anybody could criticize uh, the burqa. But on the Tory side, Niall, this is what I find more interesting. 
Um, Why hasn't Boris had defenders? I have to say it's it's quite an extraordinary um, uh, development to to demonstrate just how um, far to the left some in the Conservative Party have uh, have moved. Um, And you do have this ideological battle actually within the Conservative Party right now between um, conservative Thatcherites, Brexiteers, um, and uh, more of a, a sort of you know, Tony Blair style, politically correct, you know, left that has um, gained some ascendancy within the Conservative uh, Party. So there is this tremendous um, ideological battle going on right now. And in my view, um, some of the leadership of the Conservative Party, including the party's uh, chairman, um, have moved far away from the original vision of, of Margaret Thatcher. Uh, and so this is a conservative party that has become increasingly politically uh, correct. But this politically correct side very much, I would say, is on what, what we call the, the Remainer side of the conservative party, those who have not been in favor of Brexit. Um, and Boris Johnson has been a leading figure on the Brexit side of the conservative uh, party. And he represents... Um, uh, a uh, Thatcherite wing within the Conservative uh, Party that is currently fighting a significant battle against the leadership of of Theresa May, who's who's not an ideological conservative. Uh, well, I I think she's he, she's sort of a '70s era uh, Tory party leader, uh, someone who uh, doesn't mind I think moving to the left uh, to to capture part of the Labour base. Uh, just so long as it keeps her in in power, and so this sounds to me, Niall, that you're arguing that the the flap over Boris is really a, a a proxy battle for this larger ideological struggle for the party's soul itself. I think it is, uh, and this is what it's 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 all about. And so the um, you know, so the left wing of the Conservative Party are now mobilising to try and uh, damage uh, uh, Boris Johnson and inflict as much. Uh, harm upon his reputation as possible in an effort to sideline him uh, for any um, you know, possible uh, challenge, actually, to Theresa May's uh, leadership. And so this is, uh, you know, I think this is, in essence, what it's, what it's all about. But it's also, I think, about um, the rise of, you know, left-wing political correctness within the Conservative Party, which is a phenomenon that's been uh, moving forward for many, many years. It really was uh, elevated, I think, during the David Cameron era. Um, and now it's being uh, you know, escalated even, even further in the Theresa May uh, era. Uh, and there are many in the Conservative Party who feel, especially among the grassroots of the party, that the Conservative Party is becoming unrecognizable um, today in terms of its uh, increasingly sort of politically correct um, well, approach. And, and, and look, Dial, yeah. this is, has, has major implications for Britain because, um, as many of our listeners know, Britain has suffered um, several uh, major terror attacks. Um, the uh, Muslim community has not been well integrated, I would argue, yeah. um, in, into the workforce or cultural institutions, uh, social institutions of the country, civic organizations. And you finally, I think, have a home secretary in Saeed Javid um, who can start to talk about some of the trouble in that community and address it head on. And yet, yes. if you have this kind of political correctness, how can Britain ever confront the problems yeah. that it has in this community if they can't talk about it? Yeah, precisely. And, and you mentioned the new Home Secretary, Sajid Javid, who um, 
uh, is a very robust uh, Home Secretary. He's ideologically a very strong Thatcherite uh, conservative. Uh, and uh, Mr. Javid uh, has not actually weighed in so far on this, on this Burqa uh, issue, but, uh, but I think his instincts uh, will be uh, much more in line with those of, you know, those of Boris Johnson. This is Home Secretary who I think is, um, is seriously challenging the, uh, you know, the Islamist presence in the United Kingdom. Uh, and there are other figures as well in the cabinet who, who I think would have, you know, a good deal of sympathy for Boris Johnson's position, including um, Michael Gove, the, um, uh, the, the now Environment Secretary, who has been very hard line on the Islamist uh, issue. Uh, and I, I would think that many members of the, the cabinet, uh, without a doubt, uh, would be very, very supportive, I think, of, of where Boris Johnson is. Uh, but you do have, uh, you know, those, those figures in the cabinet who owe their, their positions to Theresa May, um, who um, will be seeing this as, uh, you know, um, as an opportunity, of course, to, um, to sideline Boris Johnson. Well, we also have to talk about the issue itself, because as, as you mentioned earlier, the UK has not banned the burqa, but France, Germany, Belgium, Austria, uh, and now the Danes have. And I just tend to think, Niall, if you're at the point where you're banning pieces of clothing, you've lost the argument. Um, it, it's 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 almost beside the point because it means that you have not convinced that community um, of the values of liberalism and women's empowerment and all of those other things. Um, you have allowed them to really segregate off and um, to re- retain a lot of the practices that you would see in you know places like Iran or Syria or Saudi Arabia even. Yes, um, it's a very interesting point, what you raise. So I think the British have traditionally been against sort of, you know, these kinds of bans. Uh, and, and I think that um, you're unlikely to see, uh, I think, a Burqa ban coming in into the UK in the, next, in the next few years. And certainly, you know, this government has ruled it out. The opposition parties are not in, not in favor. But mm. at the same time, I think that there is a, uh, you know, growing backlash against you know, the rise of uh, Islamist extremism in the United Kingdom, mm. uh, which is uh, quite widespread, of course, in, um, in many of Britain's largest cities, from London to Birmingham to, you know, to Bradford and Leeds up in the, up in the north. And, the, you know, it, it, the Islamist threat is, is a major problem in the UK, and the burqa is seen as a representation of this extremism. Uh, and so uh, public opinion, uh, I think, uh, would be very, very much on the side of of Boris Johnson's uh, remarks that you know the book is a form of oppression, um, and it is against the uh, you know the kind of you know British values that that have been in place for centuries. But at the same time, though, as you know, as Johnson argues, the British have traditionally been against this kind of you know legislation banning what someone wears, um, and and so. Um, but without a doubt, I think that Boris Johnson has struck a very very raw. Uh, nerve here uh, with regard to the the, the tremendous um, threat that Islamist extremism poses uh, in the UK, and I think if anything, this whole debate, this whole controversy, will significantly strengthen support for Boris Johnson mm. within the grassroots of the Conservative uh, Party, uh, and this is very important because if there is a, a leadership contest in the Conservative Party in the next few months, and I think there's a strong possibility there will be one. Um, if there is a vote of no confidence in the uh, the prime minister, uh, if indeed uh, that that leadership challenge uh, moves forward, 
And if Boris Johnson uh, emerges as one of the final two contenders for the Conservative Party leadership, which is highly likely, then that vote will go to the grassroots of the Conservative Party. All of the Conservative Party members will vote. And I think that Boris Johnson is way out in front among party members who overwhelmingly back uh, his comments on, uh, on the burqa. We're talking about the great big burqa debate in Britain. Say that 10 times fast. And you're listening to Foreign Edition from The Wall Street Journal. Join The Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com slash f-o-e-f podcast to secure your spot. Drive time, gym time, anytime. Podcasts from the Wall Street Journal. Check out all our shows at wsj.com slash podcasts. That's wsj.com slash podcasts. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Foreign Edition. Now, Mary Kissel. Welcome back to Foreign Edition. Mary Kissel in New York with Niall Gardner of the Heritage Foundation in Washington. And we are turning to another topic tied to Britain. Earlier this week, the Trump administration announced new sanctions on Russia after finding, determining rather, I should use the legal term, that determining Moscow had used chemical weapons in Britain in March against a Russian double agent, Sergei Skripal, and his daughter, Yulia. The announcement made under a 1991 Chemical and Biological Weapons Control and Warfare Elimination Act. Um, Niall, this is a direct line back to Britain. Uh, The United States, Britain, France, other allies, after that poisoning in March, took action, united action, to kick out spies, Russian spies, and send them back to Moscow. I mean, that's all well and good, but it, it doesn't really hurt Putin and his cronies. But this action, this additional action, uh, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, actually, these are very robust uh, sanctions. And uh, and I think that um, even more robust will be the second wave of sanctions that will come in in 90 days, unless uh, the Russians can um, categorically demonstrate and prove that they are not... um, um, uh, using uh, chemical weapons. So their, their facilities will have to be absolutely open to international inspection, which is something the Russians are refusing <laughs> yeah, to do. That's never going to happen. Let's uh, be yeah, honest. it's never going to happen. And if the, if the next wave of sanctions comes in, in effect, it's going to be a significant downgrading of um, uh, diplomatic relations between uh, the United States and, and Russia. Uh, it will mean the, you know, the significant isolation of, of the Russian regime. Uh, and so these, these measures implemented by, or the sanctions implemented by the United States have been very strongly backed by the United Kingdom, um, who, uh, who have felt at times that, you know, there has not been enough strong support, especially in Europe, actually, uh, for Britain in the wake of the, the Skripal uh, poisoning uh, by, um, by Moscow, which was, uh, you know, an assassination attempt on British soil, using uh, Novichok, the second most dangerous chemical agent in the world, 
um, a chemical weapons attack on European soil, but um, most European countries, uh, I think, have been supportive of Britain, but, uh, but Britain feels that you know, not enough is being done, actually, by, by, uh, by Europe. And so this U.S. move, I think, is a huge boost to, um, to British efforts to strike back against Russia. And yet the White House really was reluctant to take this step under U.S. law, even though it's been clear for months uh, that uh, Russia was behind this weapons of mass destruction deployment on British soil. Uh, and, and perhaps, Nile, it's because these sanctions are mandatory under this 1991 law. So the first wave uh, restricts exports of national security sensitive goods and technology. That's the term that's used. But the second wave that you refer to, which is likely to come in, it's not just the diplomatic relations. This could include export, import controls, uh, aviation restrictions. That That's a big, big hammer. My yeah, question to you is, Niall. Absolutely. No. These are very, very uh, significant um, uh, sanctions that will be a real blow, actually, to Russia on so many um, fronts, economic, uh, you know, diplomatic. Um, it will significantly undermine, as you say, uh, Russia's aviation industry. So these sanctions are much tougher than anything, for example, that, um, you know, the EU is, is, uh, has put in place or is thinking of putting in place. But why hasn't Britain taken stronger st- steps under the Theresa May government? Because let's be honest, Niall, th- these kinds of attacks have happened before on British soil. Um, you had, you've had polonium uh, deployed. You've had um, assassinations. Um, it, but for some reason, the Salisbury attack really has seemed to change uh, the opinion within Whitehall and within Number 10 that it, it, and within Parliament, I'd say, that, that we have to be stronger, that Britain must do more yeah. than just ejecting spies. So where's, where, where's the British action? Where are the British sanctions? Yeah, certainly, certainly the British reaction has been, you know, uh, on, on a larger scale than we've seen, on, you know, as opposed to any previous Russian attack on British soil. Um, it's important to bear in mind, I think, that this very reckless chemical weapons attack on Salisbury could have um, killed uh, a large number of British people. Uh, at the end of the day, it killed one British citizen. Um, Don Sturgis, a mother of three. Yes, and, uh, but it could have potentially killed far more. And so I think that you know, the sheer scale of the, um, of the, of the attack you know, forced a, a very you know, strong response from, um, you know, from the United Kingdom in terms of the expulsion of diplomats and so on. But a lot more can be done. Uh, and uh, after all, the, the Russians have huge investments in the United Kingdom. Uh, you have uh, a large number of Russian oligarchs, several hundred of them operating um, in the United Kingdom in, in, in London uh, with financial bases in the UK. Um, many of them send their, their children to British uh, private schools. Uh, and, you know, Britain is a second home for, for many of these, these oligarchs. Um, and a lot more can be done in terms of cutting off Russian access to, to the British financial system. Um, and making these oligarchs who sustain, help sustain Putin in power, making them pay. Uh, so why and, hasn't uh, it been done, yeah. Niall? What, what is holding back Theresa May? Because this does not strike me as a partisan issue. Yes, uh, I think that uh, for... Um, and don't be diplomatic, Niall. Tell yeah, us what you yeah, really think. I, I, think you know, I think the Prime Minister really needs to show some more, some more backbone on this, on this issue. So uh, she's I think weak. She may be concerned about the impact on the British economy here. 
um, uh, after all, there's a significant, uh, you know, level of, of, you know, Russian investment in the UK. Um, but I think, you know, she's got to be stronger and tougher, and she's got to, you know, follow Margaret Thatcher's example. I think if Margaret Thatcher were uh, prime minister uh, today, uh, she would be a lot, lot tougher on the Russians than Theresa May has, you know, has been. Uh, and, you know, Margaret Thatcher would have viewed Russia's actions as part of a, a much bigger uh, war, basically, between, um, between Russia and, and the West and the free world. Uh, she would be uh, investing far more uh, in Britain's defences. And Britain at the moment spends just 2% 2, 2 of GDP on, on its defence. It should be spending at least 3%, uh, ideally 4% of GDP on, on defence. And Britain has to be able to... Uh, develop the the military capabilities, if necessary, uh, to uh, to fight a, a ground war in Europe against the Russians, which is what the Russians are preparing for. Uh, and the Russians have been massing uh, troops uh, close to the Baltic states now for several years, uh, with with one one reason to intimidate the West, intimidate the NATO alliance, uh, and Britain must lead uh, the whole of Europe in in re-energizing uh, Europe's uh, defensive posture and ensuring that there will be a price to be paid if the Russians decide to offer any kind of aggression in, in Europe. Uh, so on, on many fronts, I think Britain could be doing, uh, could be doing more. Uh, and uh, I think with Theresa May, she's a prime minister who tends to do the bare minimum rather than going the extra mile. And, you know, we are confronting, in terms of the Russian regime, a barbaric, brutal regime that has prepared to launch chemical attacks on European soil that um, shoots down uh, airliners over Ukraine, as we saw with the shooting down of MH-17. Uh, MH-117. 298 people went down in that, that aircraft, including over 100 Dutch citizens. This was an act of terrorism carried out by, uh, by the Russians. But what has been the, the European response? Barely any kind of response at all. Uh, we need to show strength and resolve in the face of, of Russian uh, savagery and barbarism, and the British Prime Minister must be at the forefront of doing so. Well, kudos to the Trump administration. At the prodding of Congress, I might add, uh, California Congressman Ed Royce, who uh, was pushing very hard for these sanctions, kudos to them for finally doing it. Let's end on a, on a rare upbeat note on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, my thanks to Niall Gardner of the Heritage Foundation for coming on the podcast today. I'm Mary Kissel with the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal. You can tweet to me at Mary Kissel. I love your comments, even when they're critical. Have a great Friday, everybody, and we'll see you again on Monday.